Hello, welcome back to Eldritch Girl and I'm really glad you're back for the completion of chapter 10. Um, part 2 of chapter 10 has very few content warnings. Uh, we are now in the other world which is a very different place to the outside and um, this is my opportunity to hint at other kinds of things that I might write about one day. Um, I do want to bring in the Fae properly when I write my, if I ever write, my historical fiction spin-off series which stars Eglantine Pritchard and I've got a whole lot of stuff about her and her partner Gwen that I want to explore so you get like her point of view and you get to see what actually was going on in the 50s, 40s, 30s. Um, I might start it when she's younger sort of in 1925 um, but we'll see how that goes but yeah so I get to play with that um, we get to look a little bit at uh, the unreality of Murthin's world, um, the Island of Apples. There's a bit of Welsh in there. So it's called Anis of Athlon, which is Island of Apples in Welsh. And um, yeah, so there's uh, there's quite a bit of physical, um, physical challenges. Uh, there's a lot of emotional distress, physical distress. Um, and just general kind of heavy themes, I guess. Um, so, yeah, just uh, just the whole tone of it generally. But, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Without further ado, here is Chapter 10, Part 2. Chapter 10, Part 2. Anis of Athlon. The chase was wrong. The trees were wrong. The soil was wrong. He turned to Katie and she wasn't there. Ricky forced himself to stop. He was losing his mind. Think. His head was full of noise. Nothing coherent, his grief was too loud. Grief. He rolled the alien word around inside him like a marble and everywhere it struck, something cracked. He could feel himself breaking, fracturing piece by piece until there was nothing left except emptiness and jagged edges. Get a grip, you're a god. He hadn't lost her yet. His curse-blistered hand was healing here, the thick stink of honeysuckle and summer fruit wrapping around him in the humid summer fug. This was not the right world. It was probably not the right time, either. Nor was it the outside. It felt like an eternal summer moment, locked away in a pocket of the cosmos, full of things unlike himself or anything else he wanted to tangle with. Ricky hadn't felt so out of place for a long time. He was so uncomfortable he wanted to rip off his skin and burst out of his marrow, but his other form was not welcome here either. His arm was healing, trapping his bones inside a case of knitted flesh. He wondered if even his scars were improving in this place, but didn't want to look. Fuck me, his cousin said in wonderment. Where are we? Ah. Uh, the name was on the tip of Ricky's tongue, but it faltered when he realised he could remember what his cousin looked like. Wes's hair was slicked back and shining with gel, thicker than he remembered from the outside, and a darker brown. He had toned up since then, put some muscle on his lanky frame, topped up his artificial tan. His blood-dark shirt was stained with dirt and his own blood. He stood out and blended in exactly the kind of louche fay princeling that might be lurking in this forest. "'Am I handsome?' Wes asked, catching him staring. 
Ricky shook himself. I don't see you often, is all? Wes snorted softly. Here too? Good to know. He fished out a flat, compact mirror from his back pocket, flipping it open to admire himself. God, my cheekbones are beautiful. Eyeliner's not bad today either. Ricky hadn't noticed. It wasn't like the flickering layers in the outside. Here, Wes wore his invisible, memorable form like a translucent cloak. Ah, this is glamour. I bet you don't look that good in real life. He wondered how he looked, whether he looked strong and fit again as when the mistress first met him. But he had no way of telling, and Wes always looked at him like that, so the hungry, razor-edged smile was no indication. This is like Grandad, isn't it? Wes said thoughtfully, surprising him. A shit ton of power in his own world, absolutely fuck all in ours. That's why we're here, right? We have to play by his rules or we get nothing. He can phase a bit of his world into ours, Ricky murmured, remembering, but he can't seem to do it when there's too many of us around. At least, I've only seen him twice growing up and both times I was on my own. Tina explained, Wes said. I asked her to call him. Don't hit me. Ricky gave him a sharp glance. That was clever. Wes scowled, scrutinising him for some indication he was being sarcastic, perhaps, but Ricky was sincere. Well, we need the Pendlestone, and Carrie's... Carrie shouldn't have... Yeah. Ricky's heart clenched and he turned away, unable to speak. As they started walking again and a bright sun filtered through the jewel green around them, Ricky could tell there was something underneath it. He just couldn't tell what it was. He let Wes go first, not sure what to trust in this place. He didn't fancy having a slippery cousin anywhere he couldn't see him. As the trees broke onto an undulating stretch of grassy meadow, a track snaking through it in parallel to the glittering sea in the middle distance, something flickered in Ricky's peripheral vision. He stopped, tendrils snaking out but sliding down his back out of sight. There were ruins here, some kind of tower crowning an escarpment that sloped high above them, outer wall crumbling away into the forest, but the main mass of it towering above the trees. Is this it? Wes didn't sound too impressed. Now what? Ricky tested his injured hand. The thick, fertile air flowed over it like a bandage, soothing the burns and knitting the torn skin back together. It felt a lot better. There, see, knew you didn't mean it, he said to the house that wasn't there. Wes side-eyed him but didn't say anything. The air was so thick with fruitful scents it was giving Ricky a headache. He wasn't paying much attention to the slope or the heat, but by the time he realised he was halfway up the hill, trudging along a worn track towards the ruins, he was sticky and panting. That wasn't right. Pushing thirty ain't old enough to feel like this. He had to stop. My fault. Out of condition. He leaned against a tree, rubbing his forehead with his sleeve. My birthday's first. Wes, the bastard, was barely out of breath. Fancy doing something for our thirtieth together? Just us. I know you don't do parties. Ricky shrugged. I don't mark mine as a rule. Wes shook his head. How about this? I'll come over, bring some weed, nice bottle of something you like, and we can get shit-faced in a field, weather permitting. He cocked a sharp eyebrow, hooded eyes flicking over Ricky with barber precision, taking in everything he wanted to in one easy sweep. Fail in that. How about a cake and a cuddle? Ricky flushed. Non-fancy. Wes unleashed his cut-glass grin, sharp and cunning. You didn't say no to the cuddle, I notice. 
I think you like our little days out to the lay-by. Ricky smirked despite himself, avoiding Wes's blade of a grin slicing into his tender parts. He was too raw for this. He needed her to tease him, to keep him on his toes and grounded. He needed her whole and laughing, the house warm and even the cold, vengeful part of her soul welcoming him in. He had grown sure of her, but he didn't know what to do when Wes grinned at him like that. A wave of dizziness clobbered him from nowhere. He clung to the tree and waited for it to pass. The tree rustled. Ricky squinted upwards at it. We want talking to you. Wes put an arm around him. Ricky would have shrugged him off, but the arm draped around him like a protective mantle, and he needed the weight and solidity, the grounding touch. We'll find her, Wes paused. You shouldn't have offered him anything. You hate being used. What if that's what he wants? Is it worth it? I don't care what he wants, Ricky managed, head pounding. His cousin grunted. I do. He's not asking you, is he? Ricky pulled reluctantly away, but he didn't feel much better. The entrance was close now. The rest of the track seemed easier, gentler, and he entered what was very clearly a modern-day tourist attraction, not a place in a mythical land. If he squinted back the way he'd come, he could almost see the tarmac of the road outside and the cars, the modern buildings squashing up to the castle walls, hear the seagulls and the distant sound of the traffic. It was a place out of time. He looked around properly, taking in his surroundings and processing as much as the headache would allow. What is this? Wes looked around. Are we... Is this a real place? It's what the real place dreams it is, Ricky murmured. Wes clicked his tongue. So that's what Towers dream of. He paused. What does she dream of? Ricky's chest clenched. Lots of things. Sometimes of when she was human. I bet she dreams of you. Wes investigated the rounded wall of the tower, prodding the mortar as if he expected something to happen, but they were slabs of quarried stone. The keep had two of these flanking the portcullis, which was up, and Ricky could see through to the ward beyond. They entered cautiously, exploring the concentric layout with all its fragments of modernity out of place. Metal bars were set in the arched windows, bilingual green signs erected on poles to give directions, and they crossed the ward and wandered around the ancient walls without seeing anyone. Here, soothsayer. It was a soft voice, mid-deep, with a West Welsh lilt and a distinctive cadence. Ricky shivered despite the heat, keeping one hand on the wall he was following. Grass tickled his ankle. Gravel rolled under his feet. He turned around, unable to stop his limbs quivering. Everything changed. His breath stopped in his throat. Night had fallen. No, that's not right. He had always told the time by the sun and moon, never owned a clock or a watch. Here, everything lied to him. Wes let out a low hiss of surprise. Oh, fuck. I hate shit like this. I don't know what's real half the time anyway. Are we really here, or... or what? Ricky didn't know how to answer. He was lost. The forest was vast to him, walling him in on all sides. He stood still, making time to breathe, to focus, to try and sense her. This is a trap, isn't it? Wes looked up at the same time as Ricky did, drawn to the tower, which now had a single light in the window. Oh yeah, yeah, this is definitely a trap. Ricky shook his head. His back lips were tight and dry. Opening them was getting harder. He was only what he appeared to be, everything else locked away under his skin. Going for the tower was unutterably stupid. 
but he did it anyway because options were something they were short of. Wes didn't point out the foolishness of it or ask if he was sure. Hope they won't miss this, he said, and hoisted a torch from its sconce. Also, if we are where I think we are, then they can't have iron around. So what are all these made of? Ricky looked at him. What? I've got questions. Wes held the torch high. Shall I go first? They found the entrance to the tower in its base, barred with the same metal gate that kept riffraff out of the long barrow in Barrow Field. This place is all out of sync, Ricky said, touching it. It vibrated under his fingers and yielded to his pressure. He took another few breaths before he went inside, everything tense. Inside the tower was nothing but a spiral staircase and a whimsical wooden sign pointing at the steps. Curly writing read, To the Wishing Well. The well worked the first time, Ricky murmured, remembering how the house had become sentient in the first place, thanks to a vague wish of Carrie's and a little help from him. And of course it's up, not down. The staircase was a series of stone steps that went on forever, no banister or rail, swirling up the centre of the vast tower. Somewhere near the top, firelight flickered against the stones. Wes started without hesitation. Not far. Come on. Ricky started after him, but Wes turned the corner and the steps went dark. He vanished into shadow. Ricky hurried up and his cousin wasn't there. Ricky bounded up the steps, shouting Wes's name. Yeah? Come on. Wes was two-thirds of the way up, the torch guttering in his hand. That wasn't bloody fair. The stairs were different for him. He rubbed his palms together vigorously, cracked his knuckles and started climbing. Thoughts were not his friend. He focused on counting steps, the burn that was slowly spreading in his calves and hamstrings, the beat of the mantra he settled into. I'm the far-sighted. I'm the soothsayer. I'm the one and only. He would make it to the firelight if he had to fucking crawl. His legs buckled, but he gritted his teeth. He could do this. He was a god. Ricky strained upwards, forcing himself. The door sometimes seemed closer, but as he forced himself on, it was around yet another turn of the stairs. He was nowhere near when his legs collapsed under him a final time and he couldn't go on. Tears sprang up, choking him. No, he needed to breathe through it, not bloody cry. He took a shuddering breath and looked up. He was so close. So close. She's waiting for you, the lilting voice said, echoing off the stones. Ricky ground his teeth so hard he chipped a molar. He dragged himself up another two steps, his legs rested almost enough to be some use now, but not enough to bear his whole weight. The steps went on forever. Tears blurred his vision as his hand slipped off the edge of a step into darkness. He hit the steps, cracking his jaw, and slipped back three. Fuck! Language, Mr Porter! Ricky coughed up a sob, her whole body giving up. All right, he yelled into the dark. All right, I can't do it. You made your bloody point, I can't do it. Yes, you can, the man said, as if he was just on the step above. Look up, you're almost there. Ricky's chest heaved as he forced himself to reach for the next step. His arm was so heavy he could hardly lift it over his head. His hand hit the stone. Long, dexterous fingers grabbed his wrist and hauled him up. Ricky looked up at Wes. Wes strained, getting a better purchase on Ricky's arms and heaving. Come on, man, Wes gasped, and Ricky made it up one more step before he slipped from Wes's grip and hit the stone again. Heart hammering, neck protesting, he looked up. His hand was at the top, on the landing or whatever it was called, and the open door was right there. She better be there, he whispered, and dug his fingers into the cracks. She 
better bloody. He saved his breath and steeled himself for one last effort. Everything in him screamed with pain. Wes took most of his weight and he hit the platform at the top of the steps, right outside the open door. Ricky kissed the stone, sobbing with relief and agony. Wes let him go, panting. Ricky lay flat for a moment. Ricky lay flat for a minute, the physical embodiment of pain. He couldn't feel or work his limbs, he only knew they hurt. He couldn't see, chest tight and stomach in knots. Come in, the voice said. Ricky started to laugh, tears streaming down his face. I can't bloody walk. Then crawl, you're running out of time now. Bastard. But he did. He made it fully off the stairs and dragged himself through the doorway into the firelight, painfully slowly, hating himself. Wes was right behind him, his warm chest flat against Ricky's bare, clammy back, as if afraid the door would close and separate them. Ah, at last. Here he is, the modern Pygmalion. Ricky collapsed again, rolling onto his back. The room was vaulted, a single arched window in the stone wall, and there were burning torches around the walls. In the middle of the room was a stone-lipped well, circular and ominous. It reminded him of the wishing well at the Crows. Apart from that, it was bare. Where is she? he managed, not able to turn his head much more. There. The avatar was on its back, a stone statue with dead, carved eyes, torso split open. Inside, she was a crumbling mess of plaster and wires, splintered dowels and screws. There was nothing about her that was living, not like he'd imagined. She wasn't even complete. Bits of her were laid out around the torso in chunks of rough plaster. Some bits were entirely missing. He couldn't bear it. Is she dead? She's been dead for a very long time, Merthyn said. He wore his Welsh name here. There was no point in using English or Latin, not now. But you know that. Ricky shook his head, sniffing as the tears returned. He couldn't stop his arm shaking as he reached for her, but he couldn't touch her. She would be hard and cold, not what he wanted. He couldn't name what he felt, but it tore his guts out. Fix her, he said. Murthin regarded him softly. She's dead. He tilted his head, studying him with falcon-sharp eyes. You understand that, don't you? You understand what happened, what that means? Ricky withdrew his hand, blood pounding in his ears. He blinked. Fix her! Marathon shook his head. Do I look like a stonemason to you? You need to make a wish, and you need to convince the well that what you're giving up is worth what she means to you. So tell it, tell me. What is she to you? This isn't for the love of a good wife you wooed since her maidenhood. It's not for lust and desire, but for what? What is worth this? Home. It came out before he could stop it, springing from his lips as if compelled. Merthyn paused. Now that I understand. Ricky's chest writhed. She's not yours to break me with. She's not even mine. Fix her. There was a long silence as Merthyn looked pointedly at the well and back again to the broken mistress. Ricky fought to keep his voice low and even. Fine. I'll chance it with a well. I'll pay whatever she's worth. Careful, Wes warned, but Ricky ignored him. What do you have? Mervyn put his head on one side. What could you possibly have, Har respects, that the well would want? 
Ricky stared at it, thinking. My farsight, he said at last, knowing he was nothing without it. My glory, he glanced at Wes. If I give up my glory, I can't open the portal. I'll be useless to those robed cunts you saw kill me. But if you're useless to them, they'll kill you anyway, Wes pointed out. And without your glory, you won't heal. You won't come back. Ricky rubbed his lips. No, but she'll be all right. Not without you, she won't. Wes shook his head. And if you give up your glory, how can you kill Grandad? You're meant to help Katie with that, isn't he? He turned to Murthen. You're hanging around us for a reason, right? Not just because Tina asked you to. He tilted his head, eyes hooded and calculating. There's three of us. Katie's the muscle. He's the, the vision. I'm more public relations, the ideas man. And there are three futures. And if one of us gives up something as big as our glory, shouldn't we get three wishes? How does this thing even work? You must enter the well of your own free will and offer your gift to the creature that lives within. It will take what is offered, and if the value is deemed enough, it will grant you whatever you desire. Merthyn's eyes hardened as he stared at Wes in a way Ricky didn't like. For our purposes here, now, it certainly has the power to restore lives, bodies. Merthyn paused as Wes approached the well, peering down to the depths, then continued. Buildings? but you must ask with sincerity and be willing to sacrifice something dear to you. Wes leaned as far over the well's stone lip as he could without falling in, then straightened. If he gives up his glory, Grandad could come through. Everything would be destroyed. The cult could still kill him. And even if we stop all that, there's still another version of the end of the world. He turned to Ricky and shrugged, but his smile faltered. You giving up everything doesn't avert that, so it doesn't make any sense. Ricky tensed. Shut up. Not another bloody word. Has to be me, doesn't it? No, Ricky shook his head. What do you mean, has to be you? Think about it. It's the only thing that makes sense. Wes flickered in front of him, his glamoured facade blurring and sharpening as he shot Murthyn a twisted smile of his own that Ricky recognised from the mirror. The resemblance to himself made his chest squirm coldly. No, where's wait? Ricky tried to stand and fell back, legs refusing to take his weight. Look, if it's between your house and me, we all know who you're choosing. Where's shot him a sad smile. Besides, as far as the end of the world goes, oh, and your imminent demise, if nobody's addicted to me, there's no cult, and if there's no cult, there's no problem. Ricky swallowed, something tugging at him. They had no idea how many people reacted to Wes the way Charlie did, what percentage of people Wes infected in that way, who was walking around with that burning cigarette hole in their head after glimpsing Wes by accident on the street or on a photograph. Muddathin made a soft sound in the back of his throat. You don't think you can control it, do you? Wes made no reply. He only looked at Ricky. Make sure you say it right, Ricky warned, and Wes nodded. So how does this work? Wes eyed the well. Do I just jump in? That's it. Murthyn was watching him, oak patient, stone stoic. Make your wish and the well will take what it wants, whatever is offered. Wes nodded. Fair. He got up on the lip of the well and Ricky couldn't stop him. See you on the other side, Wes said, pivoting to face Ricky, his heels off the edge of the stone. Before Ricky could do anything, Wes jumped backwards into the centre of the well and plummeted out of sight. 
Ricky snarled, baring his teeth at Merthyn, who was standing there watching him with a faint, bitter smile on his face. "'I didn't think you'd let him do that,' Merthyn said. "'That boy's about to lose everything that keeps him together. "'Rather him than you, though, hey?' "'Bastard!' Ricky tried to say, but a sob bottled the words in his throat. He choked and his voice cracked. "'You throw your weight around in here because you can't do it out there. "'Why not just save the world your bloody self if you're that bloody good? "'Why not heal her?' Murthin shook his head. "'You tell me.' Ricky snarled, staring Murthin down, but then he saw it. Behind Murthin's eyes, armies marched to their death. Swirls of poetry chased themselves into knots of contained power, and if released through the bard's lips, could unmake the world. This wasn't a man at all, but a lost culture steeped in blood, a thousand rhymes and intricately mysteriously crafted words in the shape of a body. This was a man who read the history of the world in the movement of flakes in a snow globe, who could see the facets of the present in kitschy amethyst paperweights, who only had to glance into something as mundane as a traffic light to see the future. It wasn't that he didn't have enough power. It was that he had too much. He wasn't a scalpel affecting things with precision. He was a battering ram on the fabric of reality. Ricky was more human than Mervyn was. Ricky ran out of words. He sniffed back angry tears. Ha! Some god I am. The well blazed with light, a living, oozing brilliance that seethed over the sides and set the floor blazing in painful sparkles. It's starting, Murthin said. Ricky made it a little closer to Carrie's cracked hand, and she was warm. You'll be fine, love, he promised, but it wasn't his promise to keep. He hoped his trust in Murthin's abilities and the power of the well were not misplaced. He wrapped his shaking hand around her arm, and it was firm as flesh. Come back. She started stirring, torso knitting together in insulation fibres like fungi systems. Murthin shook his head. It's done. Carrie moved, and Ricky forgot everything else. He dropped back to her level, hardly daring to hope she would be the same. Love? Hey, there we are. You're all right. Come on, look at me. Look at me. She opened her eyes properly, blinking, and her windows gazed into him with all the warmth he remembered. He kissed her. Her lips tasted of brick dust and mown grass. They moved against his, and he jerked away, surprised and misliking the sensation. She smiled knowingly at him, as if she knew he didn't like it and didn't mind. What was that for? How? Where are we? Ricky couldn't speak. Carrie sat up and reached for him. What happened? Ricky folded himself up into her arms and sobbed like a child. He didn't mean to. She didn't tell him to stop or to grow up. She held him close, and he was home. He was nearly thirty, for fuck's sake. It shouldn't have taken him this long to find out what home felt like. She rested her chin on the top of his head and held him. Flushed with embarrassment and unable to stop, he clung to her, stroking the smooth contours of her form to check she was in one piece. Nothing else mattered. Very touching. Now, let's make sure there's no more interference than usual from that stone of yours, Merthyn said, and there was a thud inside her chest. Ricky exhaled, grateful. Merthyn nodded. He was willing to pay a very great price to get you back. Ricky flushed as Carrie looked at him. Well, yeah, of course. 
but it wasn't me in the end. Since you matter so much to her, Merthyn intoned, I think you ought to be looking after yourself. Watch that cockiness of yours. We're still cleaning up after the hubris of the last king, so mind how you go. Who's he calling a king? When Carrie kissed his cheek instead of saying something, he rubbed the last of the tears away and shook her off. Her lips burned into him like a brand. She didn't have to go and do that. He was already irrevocably hers. Ricky licked his lips. Her eyes were so clear, but there were traces of the old colour in them from when she'd been a living woman, buried deep in the heart of the grey glass like small shards of mosaic. His breath condensed on what passed for skin, marking her with fleeting patches of warmth. He saw himself reflected in her eyes, a ghost of washed-out hues, bloodshot and blotchy, appearing behind those window-pane irises like a haunting. To haunt her for as long as she remained, to know every inch of her with the intimacy of a phantom embedded in her walls and boards and beams as easily as crossing the spaces of her rooms and corridors, that would be bliss. His breath caught as he thought of it, staring into her face. She gazed steadily into him. He swallowed and moved his hand to her back, fingers tracing over her spine like the ridge of the roof. Let's go, love. Merthyn indicated a door that had not been there before, but Ricky was unsurprised. I can't say it's been a pleasure, Merthyn said lightly as they made their way across to it, but good fortune to you. I hope our paths won't have a reason to cross again for a long time. Promise you won't come back unless you're invited, Ricky said, not letting go of her. Unless one of us invites you, I mean, not your, whoever she is, conjuring you up to spy. Merthyn scowled. Our Tina does no such thing, but very well. You will not see me again, and I will not come near you unless you invite me, even if I have something important to say. Ricky wondered if he'd shot himself in the foot there, but he was the one and only of the family, and he wanted to be first with the news. He faltered, and Carrie tugged his hand. Come on, she said. Let's go. Ricky followed her through the door, not caring what was on the other side, and almost forgetting to care if Wes was alive or dead, entirely consumed with the immediacy of his home's hand in his.' 